On tonight's Grateful Dads, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. Deliberate cruelty is not forgivable. Welcome to the Grateful Dads Podcast, the show where we explore music from the point of view of a couple of dudes in a neighborhood cover band. If that sounds glamorous, well, it really, really is. I'm Adam Felber. I'm the band's keyboardist, and let me introduce my co-host, one of the band's two lead guitarists. That would be Kevin Burke over here. Hi, Kevin Burke here, part of this intense band that is as exciting as you are dreaming it is. Also with us is our chief technology officer, Jeffy Branion. Hello, everyone. <laughs> And our chief vinyl officer, Brian Frank. I really appreciate the new title, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and Brian, uh, what record have you brought with us to, uh, for later tonight? Uh, today we have the um, stellar, I will give actually a feeling about it, stellar Aerosmith Toys in the Attic. Toys in the Attic, 1975. Wow, I'd say I'd say that's a, a bona fide masterpiece. I'd what that say is. opinions vary on also that. Also on this show, me and Kevin are going to break down our approach to playing Last Night by The Strokes. And we will be tackling the all-important question, are there any good supergroups? Um, but uh, first, let's catch you up. Since we recorded our pilot episode one year ago, um, certain events have happened. Uh, the band had its second real professional gig, right, Kevin, at North Hollywood's That's Amazing true. Federal Bar? Yep. We, and yeah, then that, we played the local was, talent show. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. I mean, there was a period of time there where it seemed like we were definitely going to do the circuit of a mile or two from our neighborhood, and it was going to be <laughs> really pretty kick-ass. <laughs> Absolutely. But, then, uh, then, then we uh, played the local talent show, and right. where our warm-up act was, and I'm not kidding on this, we were warmed up for by Lisa Loeb. It's true. That is true. Yeah. And you know what happened immediately after that? Society crumbled. That's exactly what happened. You might have read about it in the newspapers. A few days after the talent show, we had a small um, pandemic, 
And uh, that was it for the band for the next calendar year or so. Uh, that was that was it for almost everybody. The day the that's music right. died. That's the yeah. last time that I shook hands with with people, like gave hugs to people, like that. That was it. After yeah, that, that was it. We're here. Yeah, that's over. Tragedy. Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be a coincidence that we performed and then it happened, but you know, that's simply how how it worked out. Now, our intention was to wait out the pandemic before starting this podcast, and then I had another idea, which was, fuck it, because. We'll just record it from our own homes until the world comes back, and we'll coast on the glory of our previous work. In that way, we're just like Aerosmith. And uh, so oh, here oh, we are. Oh, oh no, 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 <laughs> no! Wow. Done. Shots fired. That's, that's crazy. But to the but to your point, to a point that's a little less incorrect. Um, I would say that yeah, all we've been doing all year is listening to music and dreaming about music and thinking about music. So all I've wanted to do is just talk about music in this podcast. So it's just been building up this whole this whole concept. We've been, we haven't been playing. And holy now crap, been you're about, about to reach full release. Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of that, I got to say when the pandemic started, I was like, wow, my wife and I are going to be together all the time. This you know, pandemic is going to be just loaded with sexitunities. And then I realized, oh, wait, I have two kids. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Nobody, nobody yeah. talks about that human cost of the pandemic, the tragedy of what happened to parents. So, <laughs> uh, All I'm saying is that in the wake of the coronavirus, a lot of perfectly good boners were sent off to die. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been listening to a lot of music too. It's, yes, it's a roundabout yes. way of saying it. <laughs> That's why we're getting emails at two a.m. No, right? now, now it all makes sense. That's why you do all your work in the middle of the night. So uh, yes, exactly. Just L- let's remember, start. Boners don't kill people. People kill boners. That's right. That's right. All right, so let's get to how's everybody's pandemic going? There's there's new stuff. Ryan, you've had a good pandemic. You know, it is it has been a challenging pandemic in many ways, but uh, I'm happy to report that career-wise, it's been a, a very beneficial pandemic. So uh, I do want to share. Now you're with a you guys. former, yeah. yeah, just share that. Yeah. You're you're a former uh, suit. I mean, you were a development executive, right? And then you were a band manager, and now you're still a band manager, but in a slightly bigger way as of the pandemic, right? Sure. I don't. I, I'm not sure about development executive. Um, that sounds interesting, and I'd like to know n- more about that uh, career opportunity. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, um, I've worked at various record wrong. labels and music technology startups, um, and was have also been a manager. Um, I had a management company a while ago, and then. More recently, have my own management company, but as you reference, and I appreciate it, Adam. Um, during the pandemic, uh, became part of a company that we've built up, uh, which is a, a large management company. Um, we're called Shelter Music Group, and we have sixty-three in, uh, clients. Name three of them. These are not my personal clients, but three of the clients are Fleetwood Mac. ZZ Top and Crowded House. Can I name my personal nice. clients? Because those are my bosses. Sure. Yeah, clients. sure, but that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty. It is pretty awesome um, to uh, to be anywhere near that level of uh, you know magnitude. But um, I I I recently started representing the band Seether. Um, if you are unfamiliar, oh, wow. take a deep dive. Well worth your time. A twenty year uh, enterprise, um, and continue to represent the um, incredible talents of Fu Manchu and Rara Riot and Friendship and the Frights. 
Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking. We'll be having all of them uh, as guests. We'll, we'll have uh, Mick Fleetwood next week. Uh, Kevin, anything you want to tell us about the pandemic? Uh, my pandemic, you would think as a, as a writer that it would be this sort of nothing would have changed. I sat at home all day anyway, making up stuff that never happened. And uh, But now I have to do it with a house full of people. So that's kind of, that's been the problem is that it's been, rather than it being an empty house and me and the dog, it's just been churning out dreams in the dream factory every day, just trying to make some shit happen with people everywhere. So it's just been the thing. It's not been exciting. You know, I hear you. I wrote an entire book during this pandemic. I had I, this uh, dream of writing I, a real novel during this pandemic, <laughs> and that uh, oh, turned yeah. into garbage. Is that coming? Uh, th- oh, my God. This is my job, though. I, I had to sit down and write, write a book. You got paid to do it. Yeah. I just had a dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I co-wrote the memoirs of a noted Hollywood B-movie uh, magnate, Charlie Band. I can say his name. Yes. Uh, I co-wrote his memoirs, and it's going to be fantastic. This guy's life has been just sick. You will not believe how awesome his life was. Can you really mix B and magnate? Yes. Does that work? Good point, Jeffy Branion. Any any uh, pandemic stories you want to share? I moved. I live in a new right. house now. Filled with lights. Filled yeah. with yeah. lights and sounds. Jeffy has a most excellent light show behind him. All right, so music news during the pandemic. As far as I'm concerned, the... Uh, the only real big news is Prince's Sign of the Times Deluxe came out. Oh, yeah. And I know, Kevin, that's, that's pretty dear to your heart. Absolutely. I mean, as a sort of uber yeah. Prince fan, it, it, it's an incredible, it's sort of like the, the holy grail of what we've all been looking for, because that's probably his best era. And ultimately, it's kind of like three or four actual albums got whittled down to Sign of the Times. But I have to say, too, as a as a set, you know, I mean, like there's a lot of box sets for super nerds of people where there's like ten takes of the same song. This is not that. Do you know what I mean? If you're a this is not that. This is like like two or three really good new CDs worth of songs you've never heard. Absolutely. I mean, there's three CDs of three full CDs of unreleased material that is outstanding. You know, I mean, he he. That's probably the best period for him in terms of just quality of work. There's just almost nothing better. It's the end of the revolution and the beginning of his sort of return to solo career, and it can't be beat. As a set, it's really outstanding. As a remaster, it's outstanding. Um, they just did yeah, a great both, job top to bottom. Yeah, true. The original album sounds great, and uh, it made me realize how shitty the original album sounded. You, you know what? My the favorite. CD was always, a, was always a bit iffy. The, the, the vinyl sounded good, but the CD was always iffy. All of it. His entire catalog has been that way, but we've had to live with it. And the 1999 one was great. The Sound of the Times yep. one is great. I'm told yep. there's some more coming out this year, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, yeah, he, he for someone as massive as he is, he barely got any remastering for a, lo- you know, a long period yeah. of time. So it's, it's high time. It happened, and it's fantastic. And now we have a song that's from the point of view of Stanley Kowalski in The Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, <laughs> why? Oh, allegedly. <laughs> He, no, he denies that's it. not allegedly. No, no, he did, he said it wasn't, even though every character is named from from the the. The song the, is called Blanche, and sure. his name is Stanley. I it's know. Read the, dude, read the liner notes. This is why you have to buy. This is why you have to buy the thing. So you can get disinformation. No thanks. <laughs> Deliberate cruelty is not forgivable. Uh, let's move on to our next little segment, which is uh, where Kevin and I break down the music. It's true. That that's this absolutely true. Really have well, what's, theme songs I mean, what's something. fun about that, obviously, is that when you're in a band of of local people, you you make do with what you've got. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna have eight guitars. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. 
I'm fortunately, you know, I mean, we live we live in a city where there's talented musicians everywhere, so that's not really the issue. But the issue is, how do you make it sound like the song everyone knows? Um, yes. but you're making it up with with people that may not be the right instruments or may not, uh, or you might have a keyboard player who has nothing to do on the song, technically. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I've pointed out before, but that uh, I had to point out to you guys when we were doing one set of music that we had picked all songs that had no keyboards. I, I can't believe that. I mean, who would have done such a thing? That's such a crazy... I don't know, maybe you and the other guitarist, Adam, of choices the other Adam, that yeah. we might have made, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so but, weird that we didn't even think about piano or keyboard. Well, sometimes well, you break the music, sometimes the music breaks you. That is absolutely true. And I, and I, I think I've told you guys, I complained about this to on Twitter to Tom Petty's uh, keyboardist, the Heartbreakers keyboardist, Ben Montench. And he said, that's an opportunity. They can't tell you you're playing it wrong if it's not on the record. Right. It was a gift from us Go to crazy, you, really, said. on a couple a couple levels. We were gifting yeah. that to you. Totally felt that. Totally Absolutely how that was gift. meant. And I love, I love that we picked songs without a piano part. So then you just started started tweeting celebrities to whine about that to see see how that worked yeah. out. And then and here we it are. It worked out really good. That's that's yeah. great. You know what? See if you guys can't pick some songs with just piano, so I can just tweet Jimmy Page and see how that turns out. You know, it's a living <laughs> dude. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Benny's going to be on the show next week. I think he's going to he and Mick Fleetwood <laughs> so, if, if they've so Jimmy Page. settled settled their hash. Talk they're gonna, about they're super gonna group. Nice. <laughs> Benny. Um, so what we're breaking down today is we played the the the, uh, the Strokes, the iconic Strokes single um, last night. Yes, yeah, we did. And, and there's two guitar parts, and and I got to play the the more rhythmic part. Um, that's sort of that C with the. Uh, it's got a bit of a, a palm mute sort of harmonic in the middle of the notes. It's pretty. It's not this. It's not super simple. I mean, it's not super hard, but it creates a really interesting sound because you have more than just a chord playing, more than just a power chord. Um, yeah, I agree. There's this thing happening on it, and so much of the Strokes is about how these two guitarists interact. It's right? true. It's well, and in fact, there's, uh, I mean, there's more than two guitarists on the tracks too. So it's about us trying to mimic all these sounds with two guitars. You know, let's listen to a little bit of it right now. Sure. And what I want everybody to pay attention to is that once the verse starts up, there's the rhythm guitar part that's like dink 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 dink, and then there's the one that Kevin was playing, which is more of a reggae on the offbeat. And, they both happen simultaneously. The chorus section, at least in the intro section, is that C with the mute, which is pretty rhythmic and crunching. And then all of a sudden you have to go to the to the offbeats. And then it's like, mm, bap, bap. And it actually adds this. It's the part you actually want to bounce to. It's the part that you kind of want to bang your head to. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, although, although you know, it's another thing that's so fun about the strokes is that, like, those two parts fit together really in a fun way. I decided to side with you. I took your side, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. doubled the that kind of, like, reggae offbeat thing that you, you knew where the fun the was. That was where the exciting part yeah. was. It, absolutely. <laughs> it's really fun to do. Yeah. No, it is. And then I, always, I ended up playing mostly the top three strings or maybe just four just to, so that it punched through the bass side and the, and the rhythm end so that it cut through the the... Just so there was some sort of real estate in the uh, guitar sound, so that and then at that way point you're sort of capturing what it kind of sounds like. Do you know what I mean? You're sort of mimicking what's on the record, despite the fact that you're doing this with with what we've got to deal with. And then add to that though, it's, I think it's pretty fascinating that the vocals 
follow their own sort of rhythmic pattern that sort of defies both guitar part rhythmic patterns. And it's, it's, it's and that was just fucking with the head of, of Paul, our lead singer, <laughs> you know, for the longest time, because, because you play that really cool intro, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, as the lead singer starts singing, it snaps into that completely, you know, hinky pseudo reggae beat. Sure. And that's, and, and that's when, you know, the singer, then, who then, must then, then all of a sudden there's yeah. this Lou Reedy sort of like, murmury bouncy sort of thing that comes in vocal wise and, and it yeah and I think also what I think is interesting about this song it's a great song to start a cover band show with because it gives your mixer a chance to, to go through every instrument right you got guitar one and you can kind of set that level and then all of a sudden the bass comes in and you get the other guitar come yeah. in and you can set that level and then the drums kick in and the other bass so everybody gets their moment do you know what I mean it's sort of designed perfectly to sort of get the band mixed up and then go um, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, it did work out well. I mean, I, I thought it was going to make Paul cry at first, but then when he found where he's supposed to start singing, then he's like great through the rest of the song. It, it, that part makes no sense. You, 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 I can't mathematically explain to you when you come in. It just you, you just do it, or you don't do it. I don't. Finding the actual beat is actually difficult for yeah. me on that one. I, th- I think you try to come in on the one, but before you start, you shoot a massive amount of heroin. Is that what he did? That makes a lot of I'm sense. I'm just guessing. Oh, okay. It, it, it's, it, there's this weird timing drug delay on that song that makes it so appealing, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that, that's yeah, my causation. advice. That's my advice to you. Yeah, to you. What was to that? Young people. No, it's well, I think that's up in the up in the sheet music, right? Where you know, it's got the uh, it's got the key and then it tells you how much heroin you need to inject it at which point. Yeah, it, in fact, the, 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 it's adagio con heroin. Is, is that what is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, Latin. On top I of said this. correlation is not causation. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. We don't know that there's heroin, and I, I'm not advising the young kids out there uh, who are obviously looking to dad bands for their guidance <laughs> no, no on what doubt. to do next musically. <laughs> they're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're looking. They're like, what dad band can inspire me to play a 20-year-old song? With don't heroin? get on the horse. <laughs> oh, so we, should mention, we should mention that. We should mention what? The when horse? we did... The, the horse, don't get on a horse. No, the gig that we did at the Federal, when or you realized that the newest song in our library right. was that song, which is 20 years old. This is a larger discussion about the state of guitar rock in general that I spend an extraordinary amount of my day thinking about and processing where it's been and where it's gone off the rails and why it's not important to different generations and why it's still important to me, despite the fact that... that uh, you know, it's it's importance to me is decades old. That actually ties us probably directly into Aerosmith when we get to this later. It's about this idea of yeah. finding something that gives you a second wind and what it means to you. But yeah, I think the newest song we were doing was 20 years old, you know, and there aren't a ton of guitar yeah. rock songs that everybody knows that are that, you know, I mean, there are obviously some, but the heyday is, yeah. is, is past. And that's I can talk for three days about that, so we don't want to get that conversation started right now. No, and that makes us even sadder than we originally sound. Yeah. Um, all right, so... <laughs> How's that possible? <laughs> ah, all right, and on that, on that pathetic and sad oh, no, note... Really I want winning, say- winning take. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, throw to our very first uh, Grateful Dads commercial, and uh, we'll be back after this. Excellent. All right, and we're back. <laughs> uh, and now I want to throw open a question to the floor, and I think this was Kevin's question. It's my so, Kevin, do you want to long-running theory? It's, I mean, it, one of the long-running things in rock is this concept of the supergroup, 
right? The group yep. comprising sure. of all your favorite, like a all star team, right? All your favorite, uh, it's, right. you know, it's the Avengers. It's supposed to be the Justice League of music. They should all come together and make the greatest music that's ever been accomplished. And I do have a question is, have any supergroups ever been good? I hate is there a go, good supergroup out there? Yeah. I hate to go Highlander style on this, but there can be only one, and it's Traveling Wilburys. Ooh. You know, I, I think wow. that, that does answer the question pretty much right away. I, I would agree with you, Kevin, that most supergroups kind of suck, but... I, I did like the Traveling Wilburys. Well, I have a mixed feeling about the Traveling Wilburys. One hand, I love the Traveling Wilburys. Totally think they're enjoyable. Yeah. Everybody in the Traveling Wilburys is great. On the other hand, I understand why, at the same time, everyone got so excited by Guns N' Roses because what Rock was presenting you was these middle-aged dudes just sort of strumming it up and this idea of someone being from the street and dangerous and making it feel like it's pirates was super appealing because that was... I, I see the pro and con of of the traveling wheelberries personally i enjoy it but at the same time that is kind of it is exactly what you expect it's going to be do you know what i mean like yeah it is kind of comfortable old guy rock and i don't think all the songs really hit and i and i also think the second traveling wheelberries um record is is vastly inferior to the first but um but i'm but i'm, I'm, songs, I'm about working on the good. on the deal like it should be some bands that have come together and and their the sum of the parts have ex, have exceeded their original groups that's never that's never once happened. Bad company. I, bad company is one. Bad company is one I thought about, but I can't say I like bad company more than Mott the Hoople or some of the other groups that that formed bad company. But that's close. Bad I, I got to say, my favorite supergroup is the is the Raconteurs. I love yeah, them. That, yeah, I think, okay, I I think both of high. those albums are super strong. And all right, maybe they don't surpass the White Stripes. And maybe it's not even right to call them a super group because I, I you know, I, I own a Brendan Benson right. album. No, I was wondering that too. <laughs> what, Most what, of America does what not. What defines a super group? And I was thinking yeah. about Zwan. Like Zwan arguably was a super group, but everyone only knew Billy Corgan. You know, I think... Uh, there are other, you know, other groups like that. I think, you know what we should do? We should do a thumbs up, thumbs down on supergroups right now. I'm going to list some supergroups and we're going to see what right. we think about this, right? Bad Company, I'm giving a, I'm giving a even for me, but, but Brian's a big up. I, I give it a solid thumbs up and it's a legit supergroup because if you think no about doubt. it, it's two guys from Free who were a very big band and had a hit song. One guy okay. from Mott the Hoople. Who again, very big right. band, had big Great songs. Band. Love them. And one guy from King Crimson. Again, they arguably they had yeah. a big song back when it was. So yeah. That's yeah. a legit okay. super All right. Group. I'm gonna say I don't personally love the band that much, but that is a legit successful super group that people know more than their original groups, I think, in right. in, a, in a lot of cases. I, I I'm I'm somewhat persuaded. I gotta say though, we have to decide whether a super group is guys from groups that you know or guys that you know. Uh, like, like the Wilburys, we know those guys because they're kind of the importantest guys in their respective groups, mm -hmm. or at least very important to those groups. Right. Um, but then you look at like Cream, which is considered a super group. Yeah. Eric Clapton was definitely, you know, the face of um, of many a little group there. Uh, but the other guys. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, I've never thought of them so much as a super group as the next, as much as the next iteration of 
Eric Clapton, you know, from the Yardbirds and where he was going. I, I agree. Because um, you could say the same thing about Led Zeppelin, but I, I don't consider them a super group by any means, even though well, both Cream and Led Zeppelin show up on Wikipedia's list of super groups. Well, I'll tell mm. you why, though. This is the thing is with Led Zeppelin, we got to be realistic here. Um, three unknowns besides Jimmy yeah. Page, really, or, Absolutely. you know, borderline John Paul Jones that had experience. That's it. What we can say about Cream, and part of this could be um, that we're in America and not England, Agreed. is those other two guys from uh, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, right? The Graham Bond organization. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is, if you go through, this is the irony, and we'll tie it back to Fleetwood Mac, is John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. When you go through all the different dudes that John Mayall had in that band over periods of years, it's everyone who eventually became famous. Right. Right. He like formed supergroups before they were, he took unknowns and made them into rock stars and then they became supergroups. But I'm gonna go back to Bad Company because I have to make this point about Paul Rogers. I will call it's starting him. starting to get disturbing here. Yes, no, you're, no, you're, you're, you're going to the firm is what I'm saying. I'm going, hang on. Yeah, he's the king of supergroups. <laughs> the firm, then there was The Law, by the way, less well known, but again, another supergroup. And then when he joined Queen, they get, they made it Queen with Paul Rogers. He got his right. own name on Queen. It's not like the Adam Lambert Queen where it's just Queen. So I'm going to give whatever we're going to say about supergroups, Paul Rogers yeah. is the king. I would I will agree wow. with he's probably the king of supergroups, but I'm going to I'm going to back this up. We're going to make this we could we should have we need some parameters yeah. to the supergroupness here too because That's I it. feel like one of the ones Kyle brought up is Audio Slave because everyone knows first of all it's the popularity of it, right? We knew two groups coming together. Audio Slave, well, Audio Slave was decent. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't exceed either of the previous bands for me. I don't know how everyone else feels about Audio Slave, but, but good, a good super group. But hang on, They're but is that group. a super group if you take a singer from one group fronting another band, re just replacing the singer? Is that a super group? Uh, that's a good question. If you rename it, it's a super it group. It is. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Because that, the yeah, thing is, that's if you Velvet Revolver it, yeah. too. And Velvet Revolver, I would consider a super group. And I would consider them a failed supergroup. Oh, I, I like both their records. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they either could have done better independently than they did in that. I'm, I give How about them up. Crooked Vultures? You know what? I love that record when it came out, and then I can't tell you anything that was on it. So it's, that's just, it's a strange. No. It's a strange record that exists. It's one of those records that you try to force yourself to like, and then you 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 realize that you don't. What about Chicken Foot? I don't know anything about what? Chicken Foot. What? Oh, no. We're going to have to educate you on Chicken Foot. That's uh, Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony, um, uh, Joe Satriani, and um, Chad, what's his name from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the drummer? Chad uh, I am going to write down that yeah. name right now oh, so yeah, I don't actually listen Chicken to Foot. it. Chicken Foot. The first one's an Andy no, John's no. record. It's it's a great sounding record, but yeah, Chicken Foot. No, no, I, I, am writing, I am writing it down right now so I don't accidentally listen to it. <laughs> and did... And did, did Chicken Foot ape the Traveling Wilburys? They right? did. Their first There's record volume was Volume three. One and Volume Three, and then Chicken Foot. They their second absolutely, album was three. they absolutely yeah. did. We're forgetting, of course, the the perhaps the king of all of all supergroups, damn Van Yankees. Vegas. The most. I thought you were going to say Asia. No, no, I just feel like Whoa. I'm not. I, and I, I absolutely am not a fan of damn Yankees, but damn Yankees was absolutely an assemble of like True. people that we thought passed their prime that mm -hmm. sort of moved into that. Attempted Aerosmith comeback position and uh, mm -hmm. and had genuine hits, genuine MTV hits. You know, yeah, were absolutely there. What's interesting too was the Seattle supergroups. You know, these were bands that right. were still contemporaneous and yet then had these different um, 
you know, collaborations, Mad Season, Temple right. of the Temple Dog. Of Dog. Well, Ma- and, wait, Temple of the Dog big, is, right? is fascinating to me because that, when it was made, was obviously not a super group because no one knew these these people exactly out of Seattle, right? But by the time it was released, it was like these were the hottest bands in the world and they had a band together, right? It was fascinating it sort of became a supergroup by their popularity. No, you don't. You don't get retroactively. I mean, Brian tried that shit just a few minutes ago. <laughs> you can't retroactively dub yourself a supergroup. But I a think Mad Season is, is definitely when, a supergroup. Mad Season yeah, was a supergroup. Super is when big stars come together and make a group. Yeah, no, that's true. It's like the Power Station. Uh, you know what? Power I Station. I like Power Love Station. Power yeah. Station. I have, to, I have to admit, I'm admitting to loving Power Station. I think they're I, great. Well, we'll get Ditto. to guilty pleasures later. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think Brian and I have talked about, about this. That one. Yeah. yeah we, uh, I discovered Get It On Bang A Gong from Power Station. I love yep. T-Rex, but wow. the first time I ever heard that song was the Power Station version, which... See, the first time I heard of T-Rex, it was from that Who song. Oh, where they talk about T-Rex. Yeah, they. Dr- I drunk myself blind to the sound of old T-Rex. Yeah. That's uh, You Better You Bet. I got your body right now on my All right, are there any other supergroups that you absolutely have to mention? That is a good question. I feel like those are all the ones that came to my mind. There are people who will say the original is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, yeah, and, and I would say that that was successful. I guess my definition of a good supergroup is do people, were there enough sort of hits or records that were definitive enough that everyone remembers this particular band or were they mostly remembered for their previous bands? And I think there are a handful. Bad Companies won. I'd even say the radioactive by the firm is a legitimate hit. You know, that that's undeniable. You know, that's, we actually, we did keep this conversation mostly to rock. And I would say it seems in rap, there are a lot of successful supergroups. It, it is a series of rock failures to put together a supergroup. I, I think it's also the nature of hip-hop that you just get to take turns. So if you get three talented people together, their, their rhymes are all going to be great if they're currently great at that time. I think that's, that, that at least seems fair to me. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Oh, the great the Jay-Z and Kanye West album, right? <laughs> We should do another segment on just the two people coming together. Oh, together. right. Because that Jay-Z, Kanye, do two guys make a supergroup? Yeah, that's a good question. Coverdale I mean, Page. It depends on how right? big they yeah. are individually. <laughs> are they each have to be at that's least right. as I mean, big like, as a big band. And then... Well, right. then, then they qualify. I think you're right. Yeah, then yeah. they qualify. Emerson Lake and Palmer, and then Emerson Lake and Powell. Right, that's some okay. that's some deep prog stuff going on. There. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's that really is. <laughs> yeah, it's like we got to find somebody think, whose name starts with P. It's got to start with P. <laughs> exactly. That, that was the last question. Where like, do oh, we find a P guy? Like the guy. They're like, "What's your name?" They're like, oh, "Bill." No, give me a phone book stat. <laughs> <laughs> I think even Powell was surprised that his name was included there. Because um, <laughs> they were probably this close to just saying it's it's Emerson Lake now. Right. 
Um, and then again, and then you think about like Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel gave up that huge career to pair up with Paul Simon. What are you talking about? As a grocery checker. Oh, hey oh. No. Oh, mom. <laughs> no. They went they actually went to high my mom's high school in uh, Forest Hills, New York. A little it, bit of it, trivia. Is that where your mom went to high school, really? Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Um my uh I never thought it was that that risable. <laughs> Tell us why um why it's funny that my mom went to high school in Forest Hills. Be careful with this answer. <laughs> He's saying there's only one right answer here. Do it. I feel like I'm on the spot now. No, I was, <laughs> I was saying it was a, a coincidence. <laughs> and I, and I was then I was saying that this is not worthy of the podcast. This is a conversation we need to have another time. Some people refer to it as Jewish geography. We can get into it another time. Oh, yes, yes. you know somebody else in Forest Hills. I get it. My my All whole right, well. family. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> On the, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. On that, um, I'm going to announce our second commercial. People, you have to buy this product we're about to talk about. It's true. Buy it early and often. So we're, okay, so we're, we're here to talk about one of my favorite bands of, of all time. I don't know if we've even, we've never, we've known each other for years now, right? I don't think I've ever. You and me, Kevin. Yeah, yeah you and I. I don't think yeah. that I've ever expressed how much I love Aerosmith to you, actually, which is so strange because they're one of my favorite bands of all time, and sometimes I forget how much I love them. that is a little weird because cause you've expressed to me how much you love Prince, obviously, because we have that sure. in common. And we both spent an entire year, um, two years ago, listening to that D'Angelo. Oh, album. no doubt. And 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 no, and, and um, I, I'm very good at making sure people know my favorite bands, you know, like what. And boy, you've talked about Van Halen. Oh my God, that. when when Eddie died, I I had to quit work for two hours. I just fielding phone calls. I, I, didn't, I sent you condolences yeah. right away because I knew how much you loved it. I didn't, and of course, I know how much, how you feel about Tom Petty. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know the guy. Obviously, I had no relationship with Eddie Van Halen except as a fan. Yet I got I got messages from friends from high school. They're like, for it was it was insane. So anyhow, my point is. I'm extremely good at letting people know what bands I'm obsessed with, and and Aerosmith is. I one don't of those know bands. if "good at" is the is the phrase I'd use, but well, you well, definitely I, let I, people I, know. You no, know, it's a skill. I don't think you recognize what a skill this is. I mean, is it comparable um, to yeah. Eddie Van Halen's own <laughs> guitar skill? Yeah, my no. ability to to obnoxiously remind people of my favorite groups is about the level of eruption. I think in terms of skill, so I think we're there. I am I'm, I'm going to agree oh, to that wow. stipulation yeah, right. right there. Okay, Motion so that's, carried. That, anyhow, so yeah. Aerosmith yeah. is up there and and you know what? I don't think about them <laughs> enough. Um and every time I come across them I'm like, "Oh my god, I love this band." And it's like running into an old friend. There's no there's, at this point there's no Aerosmith album I don't like to some degree. There's uh-huh. obviously ones that uh-huh. are better. But also the Aerosmith story, the idea, this is inspiring to dad's bands like everywhere. Wait, wait, the wait, idea wait, that wait, you wait, get better. Yeah. The idea that you can get better in your 30s, like not just commercially, but you can be, your voice can be stronger, yeah, the I'm band gonna, can be I'm tighter. Gonna, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to let you finish, uh, yeah, Taylor. Like, yeah, I am. Yeah. But I, I do want to point out that this segment is called Brian's oh. House of Vinyl. You know, I understand. I'm just, I'm, so, I'm just framing this whole idea I, 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 on the idea of how much I, going into this, love Aerosmith. Okay, so now we've successfully created a frame that makes this all about you. Yeah. And now we're going to now we're going to go to Brian's segment where oh, wait, Brian wait, 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 what's, wait, what's Brian talking about today? I was just talking about oh, Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I just love Aerosmith. Wow, Brian. Wow. Why don't you talk about the record sure. that you brought today and why today of all days you've brought yeah, it? Uh, absolutely. How is tonight different from all other nights? So um, <laughs> yeah. So um, really good point, uh, and thank you for that that kind <laughs> intro. Um, so. Typically, uh, as you guys know, 
I uh, tend to celebrate anniversaries of albums um, that are even numbered, meaning on the fives and zeros, or birthdays on the fives and zeros. So it is a rare occasion on which I feature an album that is not an even number. But in this case, for Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic, it feels worthy to celebrate on an annual basis. So thank you for the intro, Kevin, because I agree with you. So. On April 8th, 1975, Aerosmith released their third album, Toys in the Attic, which would put it, uh, as we're recording this, 46 years, not the 45. I did celebrate it on its 45th and 44th and 43rd and 42nd <laughs> Every year. and 41st. and right. Evergreen. So, yes. Evergreen. Wow. So Evergreen. just so everybody knows, yeah. once again, if you haven't heard this from me before, Brian's daily Instagram feed is, is very much off the hook. Um, he he features a new piece of vinyl every day on some significant anniversary. But yes, it's usually it's the vibes. And, and also, I, I want to add to that. It's yes, yes, it's, uh, yes. You'll find the link on our. But thing. I was yeah, going to add to that. Brian it's also a very it's also a very eclectic list, right? This isn't always a list. Just want to put that out there. It's not always classic rock. It's not always that even that old. Sometimes it's five years old. Do you know what I mean? Like the following your Instagram is very informative about things I already know and things I wanted to discover. So it's been great. It's been a great discovery. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So tell us, tell us about this record, why it's important, and what we don't know about it. Absolutely. Um, well, I don't know if there's anything that Kevin doesn't know about it after that intro. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so Toys in the Attic was Aerosmith's third album, right? And this is, by all accounts, their first album where they actually had to write it from scratch to create an album. Their first two albums were songs that they had been playing for years and years and years. Um, playing the clubs and working their way up. And so this was their first one, really, that there was like, okay, we got to go in and make a record. We're going to start from scratch and work together. And they all acknowledge, and I would say, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, it's their third album, but really it's their first, right? It's where they all came together. It all crystallized in a great way. Jack Douglas did an incredible job of producing the band at the record plant. There's many, many funny stories about how this record was made. But for the average person that we're talking to, you don't have to be a music snob to know Walk This Way and Sweet Emotion, two of Aerosmith's biggest hits of all time. They're both on this album. Um, And I think that says a lot, right? A band that's been around for 50 years, two of their biggest songs on the same record, and both were written for this album. They didn't exist previously. It's not something that they had been working on for a long period of time. It is a tremendous piece of work. And what I'd say over these, um, I'm looking at the back of the record, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine songs. It's like a mixtape. It's, I, I would say it's very varied in genre from some of the stuff. Um, you know, there's some uh, round and round is like a gnarly stoner rock guitar rift. You See Me Crying is something we should all discuss, the orchestration that went into We're it, about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hell yeah. To me, and to me, you know, Sweet Emotion may be my favorite Aerosmith song. It's pretty much a perfect Aerosmith song if you, if you really listen to it. You know what? You know what's funny is yeah. every. It may not be my favorite Aerosmith song. Every yeah. time I pick up a guitar, it's the first riff I play on any new guitar. Wow. I'm always like, better new. It's immediately what comes to mind, and I don't know why that is, but it's absolutely one of those riffs that can't leave your head. Yeah, it's amazing, and and I'll say, um, for my, I guess maybe my age or or how I discovered music. Uh, I'll tell my personal story about how I got connected with this album. I'd never heard of Aerosmith. 
Um, I was a huge Run DMC fan. Uh, shout out again to Queens, Adam. And um, when Walk This <laughs> yeah. Way came out, um, I didn't know what it was, right? I didn't know who Aerosmith was, nothing. I heard the song let me, on Let me the add tape. to that. Same, yeah. exact same. That, oh, wow. They were my gateway. Wow. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I thought Steven Tyler's name was Aerosmith when, it first, when they first showed up. Oh. I was like, oh, he's Aerosmith. And then I realized that that was, yes. I, I got to tell you, I was aware of them. I was young when those things were hits. I think uh, both Sweet Emotion and Walk This Way became hits a little later than when the album came out. Um, they were, those both singles were re-released, but I was, I was tiny. I was delivering penny savers in my neighborhood, <laughs> listening to American Top 40. And so I was aware that there was this band that, that, that rocked, uh, frankly, a little too hard <laughs> for nine-year-old Adam. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's a little side note to it. People kind of forget that, that Aerosmith, 70s Aerosmith is ugly and dangerous and a little closer to like Alice Cooper and Kiss in that sense than they were in mm-hmm. the sort of lovable pop group that they that they were in the in the 90s in the late 80s and 90s but yeah it's a little bit I get it it's a little bit dangerous it's a little closer yeah. to Black Let's Sabbath. talk about some of the songs specifically like I want to talk about Walk This Way because well, we're already talking well, about think, it so we um, might as well start I there. I think uh, I mean to, to this point to the point of it being their third record yet their first record one of the things I find interesting about it on a broad scale is that a lot of great bands take about three records to get there. Do you know what I mean? If you look historically, and and it doesn't happen quite as much, but uh, literally, it, it, they don't find their voice to the third record. He he didn't even use the same voice on the first record. Do you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. like he actually sang in a different voice. By the time they get to the third record, it is it's finally congealed to the sound that we know as Aerosmith. But yeah, it's so assured because they've been touring together for yes. years, and the sound is. Uh, I'll give it this. It's not my favorite record um, because it's. <clears throat> It's just not in my wheelhouse. I love the record, though, and his sound is so assured. He is so yeah. the whole band. The whole they band sounds so completely cocky. And they, well, they it's, and it's, they also start moving perfect. out of the out of the Rolling Stone shadow. They were kind of under for a little bit on this record. They start finding their own mm-hmm. space. And I I would point out but people he, don't think about the R and B nature of this band as much as they ought to because they used to cover James Brown in concert. You know, I mean, like they were very Walk This Way is very much an R&B funk song. I would say R&B and blues. Yeah. They cover mm-hmm. uh, a great dirty blues song on Toys in the Attic. Yep. Yeah. My big 10-inch record. My big 10-inch record. Big 10-inch record. So, yeah, and that's the thing is so Walk, walk This Way uh came from um Joe Perry basically trying to come up with a meters style riff. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about funk and blues and all that, apparently Jeff Beck had turned him on to the meters and he was playing with this meter style riff. So a fun fact, which sometimes I do throw into my Instagram, do you guys know why the song is called Walk This Way? I was going to bring that up because I found out and it is fantastic. I, I have the answer. You want to, to, you want to say it? Go for it, Brian. Yeah, I know this. <laughs> So see, this is the thing you asked me. Tell me something we don't know about this album. I don't think there's anything Kevin knows. You can tell oh, yeah, me um, something. Pretty I'm, I'm not here. Most people don't know yeah. this. Just yeah, okay. tell, tell Jeffy okay. why it's called Jeffy. Walk This Way. Just Jeffy, perfect. Like you're so, talking just to me. Ah, okay, Jeffy. Jeffy, <laughs> let me let me tell you something. Okay. <laughs> you should lean into the mic. So, get a little closer. Yeah, I'm I'm getting okay, really getting close to the mic for Jeffy. Do you have the rose? Yeah. yeah. Do you okay. have the rose? Okay. Okay. Um. So. As I was mentioning, they were essentially writing this album when they were recording it, right? So they're in New York at the record plant re- recording this album, trying to write this song. They took a break. They went to the movies. They saw Young Frankenstein. And you know the scene where he says, Igor, Marty Feldman says, walk this way with the limp. 
And then uh, the guy follows him. They're all walking with the limp. King Wilder follows him, yeah. With the limp. They thought that was so funny. That's what they called the song, Walk This Way. So if you notice, the chorus really has nothing to do with the verse. They're just saying Walk This Way because it was funny. Yeah. No, and you know what? Yeah. Absolutely. And and for one, it's Igor. Yeah. It's Igor, oh, not that's Igor. A good point. And it's Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he says, walk this way. And then he, he starts to follow him. He says, yeah. no, this way, and hands him his cane. Yeah. It is fucking funny. Yeah. And Aerosmith was, and I'm sure Kevin knows this, gigantic Three Stooges fan. Yes. Yeah. All they were doing when they were living in Boston and writing songs and stuff between rehearsals was watching Three Stooges and getting high. And. They thought Young Frankenstein was like the the reincarnation of the Stooges. Well, yeah. and you know what? And that it's joke, and that joke song goes. I mean, it it again got me into Aerosmith through Run DMC, and I mean at that point, you know, Young Frankenstein was so far removed from it, it had taken its own its own life. You know, I mean, we had, we weren't even yeah. thinking that, and it's it's pretty brilliant in that connection. Yeah, I want to bring up two things about that song. Number one, there's this crazy thing that happens chord wise, um, and I know Kevin, you know this because you've played it. Um, which is that it's it opens in I guess what I'm going to say is the key of E right. that opening right. riff Ba-na-na-na. yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and then it does this weird passing tone it goes through uh, I think it goes through an A minor or something well you mean and the verse first the verse yeah. is it right before the verse there's this weird like Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem kind of muppety <laughs> yeah. uh, A minor chord yeah. uh, and it goes and then all of a sudden you're in C and what's so brilliant about that is every time you go back to the verse, it sounds like there's this massive uh, lifting key change that gives it more energy. And Steven Tyler, in fact, uh, kind of endorses that by attacking it, attacking it from a higher note the last time he goes into that verse. Well, right, and I think that I think that from guitar players, or at least everyone on earth, knows the riff, the opening riff, the better, and that's how their brains work. And, and, and that's how the Run DMC version is. That's what it's lifting. The, the the interesting thing to me is the verse guitar part. It's it's this totally bizarre funky section that they're playing that defies sort of logic. This is not open power chords that most classic rock is filled with. This is doing something totally different, True. totally funky, and uh, it doesn't. That part doesn't get enough credit. I think that most people, if you haven't gone back to listen to it, go back and listen to what he's playing underneath Steven Tyler's verses. And it's crazy. It's crazy awesome. And it actually defies what you would normally get in a classic rock. Like, this moves them out of that Ted Nugent, Nazareth level of, of classic rock bands and moves them into this sort of funky R&B band. Yeah, well said. Let's listen to that, that, that on the verse right here. And In fact, let's take it all the way back to the riff, to the Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem chord. <laughs> and then, That's a technical then listen term. to the guitar yeah. on this bit. <laughs> And there it is. Uh, yeah. The other thing that that's, it's, that I, I feel like I have to say is that they didn't want to, they weren't psyched at first when Run DMC wanted to do this. And Run DMC wasn't psyched because they didn't know the song. But it was, it was all masterminded and put together. And Aerosmith was like, okay, yeah, uh, we'll do it, but don't make fun of us. And then Steven Tyler kind of makes fun of himself when he sings that chorus. It, um, it he is doing an exaggerated version, and I actually like it better. It's the only part of that record that I like better than the original. He does this weird talk this way. Talk this way. 
He de he definitely has um because I, mean, I one of my favorite other things is Aerosmith like burned out Aerosmith records, which is like draw the line and and uh, and his voice because from in permanent vacation like they're back right they're clean they're all they're all but his voice on uh, when they was doing um, watch with Run DMC it's it's pretty shredded do you know what I mean like you mm -hmm. can hear these things you never hear again like he's kind of push it to the edge and uh, yeah I love that he's trying too hard he's trying too hard I'm not entirely sure how much he knew what was going on at the point, you know, but it, you can yeah. hear that on that record in a way you don't hear it in later Aerosmith records when they're more cleaned up, when his voice gets sort of stronger and back. Well, I think what happened was, um, uh, their manager basically said for the comeback. And I know you want to talk about the comeback at some point, Kim. Well, yes. And uh, maybe we'll do that on another yeah, episode. Um, but their manager said, if you get clean, I can make you the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Well, I think and that's, did. I think that's, that's something that their new, their second manager did it. Tim Collins discovered was simply like this band was this band still had the talent and they and the world was coming around to appreciating this kind of music again and if they could bring it and they and they brought it they brought it in a way that I think every band trying to have a comeback dreams of having they brought it in a way that commercially usurped their first run around and I would argue creatively you can argue one way but I would say that that their talent wise the band was tighter the band was you know the sober version of the band is just tighter his vocals were stronger you know, the lyrics are more clever. Um, I love first version of Aerosmith, and I love Toys in the Attic. I, I love Rocks. I think they're a one-two punch that, you know, you kind of, both records belong together. But uh, I also have a, the equal love for their later, for their Geffen records that they had later. I feel like they're in a, a different zone that it needs to be appreciated as much as these early ones. Jeffy, you never gave this, like, a huge listen, right? Before never, now? not before this week. No. And what's your impression? What are you walking away with? Uh, I'm walking away with You See Me Crying. Yeah, that's I mean, right. And, and what about it? Thank you for bringing that one up. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Like, that, that's not a word Isn't I would it? use. Isn't it, though? It's not a word I would normally associate with an Aerosmith song. And you can't forget the out, absolutely outrageous third ver verse performance by Steven Tyler that, that I don't know what he's doing, but it is I want awesome. I want to get to that because because I would sort of concur with Jeffy, but I would uh, add a little bit to it. I would add what um, Galadriel in Lord of the Rings says about herself, <laughs> that she would be beautiful and terrible because I feel like that song is beautiful and terrible and not terrible in a way like it's bad, but they're... There's so much excess, and, and and I urge everybody to listen to you know fire up fire up your Apple Music or whatever, and and listen to it. some ways this is one of the yeah. songs that was the template for later period Aerosmith ballad comebacks you know what I mean in some mm -hmm. ways you see me crying is the yeah. very is the very beginning of their skills especially Steven Tyler's vocal skills at that sort of song and it well, kept that was amazing yeah. because he spends that whole album barely singing you know it, it I mean there's a reason run DMC you did, yeah you right know, you know, crush that song. It's because very, yeah. he's basically rapping, scatting, doing stuff. And then on You See Me Crying, he is really singing. <laughs> he sounds right. kind of like he's trying to do this like asthmatic 
Freddie Mercury thing. Yeah. I was thinking asthmatic Steve Perry, but yeah. <laughs> asthmatic Steve Perry, that's exactly right. That's exactly His right. His voice is going through something, right? That In that third verse, he's all raspy and weird, and you think the song can't get more outrageous, and he's making more strange choices, and then a giant brass section comes in. And just then it take goes it. to 11. Yeah, then you're like, yep. I yeah. can't believe what is happening right now. I, I literally... And then it throws in, like, the disco era, proto-disco, pre-disco era, electric light orchestra strings coming. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, they they fucking they they got to the end of this record, and they, and the, Brian, you probably know about the recording process, but they threw the fucking kitchen sink yeah. at this. There was a symphony orchestra. Yeah, it's a it's a full orchestra. Wait, right? like, go ahead, Jeffy. Did you yeah. know that's the London Symphony Orchestra? It's what? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. But it is a symphony orchestra. Um, and that was a co-write, by the way, as I was talking about later co-writes, right. you know, uh, Tyler did write it with an outside uh, collaborator. Um, and kudos to Jack Douglas, the producer, for putting that all together. But this is the fun fact about this one. Do you guys know about uh, Steven Tyler forgetting that that was his song? Oh, I did know. I, yes, I, read I heard it. this well, I read story. It in, there in Walk This Way in the, in the, in the oral history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, remind he, me, refresh my memory. It's this, been a long time. He heard refresh this, my memory. Yes, tell this us, one. tell us. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, apparently, when they were doing their comeback and they were doing radio interviews, a DJ had played, was playing the song, and uh, you know, for the band. And Steven Tyler said, "Man, this song is great. We should cover it." And <laughs> Joe Perry apparently said, "It's us, fuckhead." <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's, is uh, that's a band. So good. This, you know what? This is that is a rock band. This, they are Muppets. They really yeah, are. Parallels, I mean, uh, my reference was not in vain. This parallels my theory. This is a side theory. My theory that that Ace Frehley was never aware that he's never been in Kiss. Like he's just he just assumed that they just never called him, and eventually they called him back. Do you know what I mean like it, it, there is there is a way which you can be on so many drugs and you simply don't know what's happening. Do you know? And, he wrote uh, the song. Yeah, he wrote the, the song. song. He wrote sang the song. The song. Sang the song. <laughs> he plays. Pia- he plays piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Sang the I song mean, and a recording. But but also there's a there's a tour. Another one of my little problems with that song as a piano player is he he throws in not at the end of the verse but kind of in the middle of the verses this really um, ill-fitting and somewhat unearned gospel riff that like people who are playing the piano. I'm guessing I, I haven't actually looked into it, but I'm guessing it's in C. Because sure. that's how you would be good at I'm, playing I'm, that I'm, riff. I'm, I'm, um, I'm stuck on unearned. Your phrase. Un- I think everything at the end of this song has been rightfully earned. I think no matter what they do, they have earned it. Earn this. I've got a lot of theories on what makes a perfect record, and I think one of these things that makes this record perfect is its length and the fact that it ends so massively and so theatrically and so bombastically that the minute that your needle has gone out of the groove, you want to flip it back over and start it over. Because it's only. Do you know what I mean? You want to get back long. to that. 37 yeah. minutes is the perfect, that's the perfect length for an that's album. That's all you need. That's right. That is the, Jeffy, no, that's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. I, I, I will argue need. that, yeah, I mean, every Beatles yeah. album's that length pretty much. Every Van Halen album's that, like, more than 40, 45 minutes, you're, it's too much. It's self-indulgent. I think there are two, this is a subtle difference between rock and heavy metal, and I think there are two heavy metal Aerosmith songs, and that is Round and Round and Nobody's Fault. I think those are the only two songs where they actually move into a metal territory um, it's based on the riffs. It's based on the on the melodies. They have two metal songs, and those are them. And I think that's I think round and round coming after no more no more, which I love. And that that song to me is the sound of sort of summer. That's like that is just a big positive 
you know, Baby, I'm a Dreamer song. And then you go into the heavy darkness of Round and Round. By the time you get to You See Me Crying, you, it is the catharsis you need by the end of this record. It is, it is sort of perfectly designed. You are, you are wow. 100% the protagonist of that Wilco song, uh, Heavy Metal Drummer. <laughs> Never heard of it. Right? Do you sincerely miss those heavy metal bands you used to go here on the landing in the summer? Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if you didn't, I have a, I have a question about what you did all summer. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of crappy you gotta hear that song it's off, summers did you it's have? off Yankee Hotel yeah. Frog's truck yeah. I had great summers uh, Aerosmith was not involved in them yeah <laughs> I want you to check out that song Heavy Metal Drummer we should probably yeah. play it in our band it's, it's a great song everyone um, should play it Everyone oh, you know, here's a fun it. fact, too. R.E.M. did a cover of Toys in the Attic, which is one of those great things that I love. They did? Yeah, yeah there's an R.E.M. cover of it, which I think is tremendous, because I love that Peter Buck also, you know, for being one of the, you know, premier alternative bands, also loved Aerosmith, because he was a guitar player on Earth, and that's simply one of those one of those songs, one of those bands that they would do. Yeah, you should dig it up. It's great. We could probably play it. I, I will. Is it on any yeah, album? Or yeah, is it was. It was rarities in Kevin's closet. It was a rarity, but it was released. Yeah, it's on one of their. I have it on one of their greatest hits or one of their collections. All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna do what we need to do, which is we're going to uh, sell some okay, product right wow. now. I thought you were going in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> this pandemic is killing us all. All right, we'll be right back. Oh, okay. welcome back. All right, we're back. We're back. How, hey. Wasn't that ad that great? Was, that was the best one <laughs> of the show. That was one of the best ads for stuff ever. Yeah. I, I should tell everybody, we record our ads uh, later, right up, right up at the Why release date, so we have no idea. Wait, don't we tell just, them no, how we're the just told, made. Yeah, told exactly. you to buy. Exactly. Don't, they don't want to see behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's time for my favorite segment of our nascent podcast, which is Guilty Pleasures. And um, it's not really my favorite segment, but it's fun to talk about. Um, to remind everybody who might not have heard our unaired pilot. Right. Um, they might have heard of Burton. Uh, Guilty like. Pleasures is, it's, it's, the, it's the part of the show where we confess that song or album that we love despite ourselves and knowing how shameful it might be. And now I, I want to clarify that that our own Brian Frank is ashamed of nothing. Uh, yeah, it's I'm true. Gonna, I have no guilty pleasures. And I'm going to add to that. Uh, we say yeah. guilty pleasures to frame it to, to, to regular yeah, people, but, but in truth, this is just it. pleasures. Yeah, I mean, in truth, ultimately, yeah, this section just, is just pleasures. Well, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to disagree, and I'm going to start us off because I'm really embarrassed about well, this. Well, this is okay. a safe space. I, this is a. I, this is a safe I like place. This is so not a fucking safe place. But I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I liked and still like when I hear it the song Don't Pay the Ferryman by Krista Berg. It was late at night on the open road, speeding like a man on the run. A lifetime spent preparing for the journey. So why? Okay, I gotta ask. I gotta ask about your shame here, Adam. Is your shame? Because I mean, it's got obviously some catchy synth stuff that is great to roller skate to, 
it's got some production values <laughs> that that comforts everybody, you know. Um, is it is uh-huh. it? Is it the lyrics that shame you? It's it's mostly the lyrics that shame me. It's it's my level of thrill when I was a kid, and it and it was an MTV hit was extreme because it's kind of like heroic fantasy slash mythological shit, and turned into a rock song or arguably a rock song, and I was just it's nuts like somebody for it. took Clash of the uh, Titans and turned it into a rock song. Yeah. Mm. It lasts. Don't pay the ferryman. Don't even fix a price. Don't pay the ferryman until I mean, he gets scary. to the other side. You know, side. I'm it, scared it, it, right no, now. honestly, and if you're if you're young enough and you haven't experienced anything, those lyrics are are kind of exciting to you. Like a lot of yeah. a lot of songs yeah. probably didn't make a lot of sense. You know, I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna let. You, I'm gonna I'm gonna absolve you of your guilt because of your age that you discovered. Oh this. wow. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know that age is probably not. Child, it's not Toys in the Attic years. I mean, this is an 80s song. I had no you, right to you like, this song. To and like then, this song. And then and then Chris DeBerg compounded it um, by having one other hit in his life, which was he followed up with that uh, the theme to the movie The Lady in Red, right. which is super schmaltzy. Right. Love that song, Lady in Red. You know what? That, 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 you really? I'm not, yeah. not going to oh, yeah. say I love that song, but I'm going to say... Brian, you're the fucking I'm best. I'm going to say that yeah. song, I, I do have a comfort by that song. That is definitely yeah. a, a solid song. That's like a sixth grade dance. No, you know. no doubt. That's the wow. original, The Flame yeah. by Cheap Trick, is what that is. Right, 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 right. For some of us, wow. that was a high school dance. Sorry, <laughs> no, sorry. That's, no, <laughs> no, for everyone, for everyone, that is exclusively a sixth grade dance. I'm sorry, guys. It is. Wait a second. It is, yeah. yeah. I think even if it was a high school dance, it was a yeah, sixth grade dance. Yeah, it was still sixth dance. grade. Um, the, fl- the Flame was clearly a seventh grade dance. End of story, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not untrue no, yeah. in a metaphor. For everybody, sense. all right, let's, let's run around the horn, Kevin. Yeah. And let's move right. to you. What's your guilty right, here's pleasure? Here's the deal. Right, right before COVID started, I had a couple beers and I got onto eBay and I uh, realized because I realized I didn't have the the 1987 album, The New Monkeys, in all three formats. I never had the cassette. I had it on LP and CD, and so I eBay bid it on cassette. And naturally, I won it because I wasn't bidding against anybody else. No one would be competing for that. And you know what? I, yeah. As I can declare myself the premier owner of most new monkeys materials, because I love the new monkeys, not not monkeys, not not Mickey. What are, what are the new monkeys? Uh, not it was not if it was available, Jeffy. <laughs> yeah, I would have it on okay. mini disc. I'm gonna the look new for monkeys it for are. You. Let's just take a moment to spend time on the new monkeys because if you remember in 1986, the original monkeys had a big comeback, right? Like Mickey and Mike and Peter and Davey. So naturally, they wanted to make a new Monkeys series, but not with the original Monkeys. They wanted to make a series with a whole new generation of people that were the new Monkeys. You might not know them, but I know them, right? Marty, Larry, Jared, Dino, 
Anyhow, was there? Are a, you making up these? Are you honestly, kidding? Dude, no, I know. Like I am absolutely. <laughs> I am a genuine top to bottom fan of the new monkeys. In fact, yeah, I've, yeah. And so, anyhow, I've never heard of this. Oh man, I've never heard you know of what? this. It really the, here, feels here, like here, you're here, making this, this up. True, this is true shame. But in in whatever grade I was in, and it was young. I, I drew the new monkeys logo probably as much as the Van Halen logo for a brief period oh, of time on oh, my folders. You know, we can cut this part out. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm leaning in on this. I'm oh, leaning wow, in. I have no shame. No, no. I am I am I know, am, take, take, I take, am take, take a night sleep on it. And if you need us to take this Anyhow, <laughs> as the premier fan of the new monkeys, they made one record. Um but premier yes. you mean only. No, no, there are a lot of fans. But well at least seventeen or sixteen. You are unique among and, the fans uh, though. Yeah, it's pretty much in that brother, you are the like only one of them. Yes, but go ahead. Anyhow, go ahead. they made a record, and honestly, if you dig into this record, um, top to bottom, there's actually a lot of producers and songwriters on it that went on to, to make great things. It was a well constructed record, and it's not. It is not the worst record of the hair band, you know, like mid '80s era, um, but it was. It's lost to time. You know, I mean, nobody has this. It's never been re-released. The show has never been released on anything. There was a TV series that only made it 13 episodes. But man, I I love it. And I and I have this feeling. I listen to it and I think to myself, I enjoy this so much. And then I have the same simultaneous thought of who bought this? Who on earth bought this besides me? I'm the only person who has this thing. But I there are days where I'm sitting at home, I'm working, and I'm like, oh, what should I listen to? Led Zeppelin Four. Should I listen to Kendrick Lamar? You know what? This new Monkeys record will do just fine. And then I pop it in. Wow. I gotta say, that is an awesome guilty pleasure. And if you can get Kyle, our producer slash editor, um, a, a fragment of that, we're gonna let he our just listeners needs to let hear me right know now. which format he wants it on because I have all three. I just want to be <laughs> clear on that. Did you <laughs> did you know that on February sixteenth, twenty nineteen, they played a show at the Pig and Whistle? I did know that, what? and I did not attend that show. And and the amount of anger that I have to myself for not being there as the premier fan of the New Monkeys is very upsetting to me. That show and was Mickey literally that, what's upsetting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. What's upsetting to me is that uh, Brian just exposed himself as having Googled shit. No, while you, you, know what, you know had, what? I'm gonna. Add. I had to. Can I say something, though? I had to do it because I honestly didn't believe Kevin because I was alive in 1987. He and I are the same age. We've gone through all the same shit. We like all the same shit. And somehow this completely escaped me. Where was yeah, I where when this you? existed? I, you know, and I don't know, but, you know, it's hard to stump you. And I just got to say I've done it. And I have. If you let me know if you want to borrow it on, on record. I've got it yeah. for your vinyl day. No, and I'm going to add to this. The last concert I saw before COVID hit was was Mickey Dolan's yeah. of the original Monkees wow. at, at the was at was in Angora Hills, who opened for him was Marty Ross of the New Monkees, and that's the last that's, concert I, wanna, I saw before I want to wow. I want to point out that if the pandemic had gotten you, you would have had to die with that. As you know what? And I would have said I would have my last uh, words would have been worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. All right. Uh, last thing I'll say before we move on is um, if anybody hasn't heard the Monkeys record from like two or three years ago. Outstanding. Good, good times. Um, it's really good stuff with, with songs written by like, uh, I think Rivers yeah. Cuomo from, from no Gallagher. wrote a song. Andy Partridge. No, no Gallagher. Andy Partridge of XTC, who's been in yeah. complete isolation for years, wrote a song on it. It's really worth your time, and you can stream it on any service it is you got. Outstanding. All right. Uh, Jeffy Brandon, what's your guilty pleasure? Well, my guilty pleasure is a song from 1998. 
I said I wasn't feeling shameful about talking about it, but I guess now that I <laughs> now have you to can, talk you about it, now you're in a safe place, to Jeffy. put my money where my mouth Here. is, I'm going to talk about Go a ahead, song man. on an album produced by William Orbit. And the name of the song is The Power of Goodbye by Madonna. Oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, um, what's it called? That's actually my second favorite. It's off of Ray of Light. Ray of Light is my second favorite Madonna full album. You know what? I'm I'm here to support you, yeah. Jeffy. That's a okay. beautiful song. I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, you know what? That I mean, that is it's a guilty pleasure. It's a guilty pleasure. But, but that that is uh, my favorite Madonna record is is uh, like a prayer. But I think that uh, Ray of Light is the close, close second, second because every song is good. At, yeah, that's a good record. I I got I got to yeah. tell you, Kevin, like a prayer and the title track is fantastic. Well, and also that, the Prince song that Don't that was the Prince the Prince duet with her on that, which is which is on that love song. It's outstanding. They're all guilty pleasures. <laughs> yeah, that's really the definition. Jeffy, uh, I want to lift you up. What is it about that song that does it for you? Um, the thing I love about it is that it's two artists who are at the peak of their powers and collaborating and making something better than I think they may have been able to make on their own. Give us an example or two, because uh, not all our listeners automatically know William or Strange Cargo. And did some producing. Are you guys familiar? And, and production-wise, too, I, I definitely know, again, going back to the Prince of it, he started, he did the Bat Dance remixes, he did some things like that, but he also Sweet. did a Blur record around that time. Um, you know, he was producing a lot of different stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. very much, I often think the late 90s is the sound of William Orbit. I feel like a lot of that stuff is is either he produced sure. or was influenced by his style. We might have to do a deep dive on William Orbit in like six, seven, <laughs> I two. totally. And agree. I would say the title track is also a really oh, yeah. solid single. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I think top to bottom that record again. Yeah. it's it, it's one that you in a way that's to not from top to bottom. Yeah, and it's not. It is very much a 1998 record, but it doesn't sound as painfully dated as a lot of records <laughs> from, from that 1998 sound. Right. Yeah, it captures the good qualities of 1998 minus minus the garbage. You see, so yeah, I think now that's a topic for another show. Like, pick a year and Absolutely. take like the best and the oh, worst. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that is the topic. We could make that several months worth of shows. Let's finish this week's show uh, by going to Brian. Brian, if you were one of those people who experienced human emotions like James, <laughs> right. Right. What would your guilty yeah, pleasure be? As you've witnessed Earthlings have shame, how would yes. you mimic that? Yeah. <laughs> what would you what song would you think you'd be ashamed of? So so yeah, yeah. Look, I I, I understand the concept, right? So <laughs> sure. let's, let's let's put it there. Um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of guilty pleasures. So yeah. I, I will say, you know, there are times when I bring certain things up and, and people respond a certain way and that makes me realize I'm supposed to feel shame for, for liking this thing. <laughs> Um, wow. So um, recently, I have been um, diving deep into uh, Chuck Mangione, and oh. uh, feels uh-huh. so good. Oh. Feels so good by Chuck Mangione it has pretty much been 
That and Give Me the Night by George Benson. Wow. Those two songs have pretty much been the theme songs of my pandemic. Those wow. two wow. tracks. Wow. Let's yeah. take a second. Yeah. I want to take a second and listen to Feel So Good. Yeah. Play some of that. Cue it up, Kyle. out in the last 30 seconds like that was i'm super smooth now um why that's why, fantastic I know, I know that you're pretending that you don't feel feel shame but why is why during the pandemic were you drawn to that that's a great question um yeah i mean i think some of it was uh comfort right like comfort food like returning to times when i felt so good um <laughs> right but um like childhood but like <laughs> childhood memories kind of thing like uh-huh. things that are just you mean so going to, smooth going to the dentist so... office you just memories of no no oh, yes no honestly like so i was you know a nerd and band when i was a little kid and um and a teenager I, you know it's not exclusively super young but like chuck mangione and a lot of the like jazz fusion stuff weather report mm-hmm. um Mahavishnu we could Orchestra. talk about i i could go into fusion forever and i want to say for those of you who don't yeah. know chuck mangione played the flugelhorn in a fusion-esque band. I saw Chuck Mangione live as one of the first concerts no way. I ever saw. My parents took me to see him at the Westbury Music Fair, which oh is a God. legendary Long Island venue in New York. It's still around. It's got a different name now. And I don't remember who warmed up for him, but it was like fucking Joel Gray or <laughs> Joel Tom DeLuise, one or the other. <laughs> I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna point out that played played the flugelhorn in a fusion-esque band is the shittiest <laughs> sentence I've heard all year. <laughs> <laughs> and yet Brian yeah. loves it, Love and it. I endorse it. That's, that's a very catchy that's tune. That's top to bottom. Yeah. That's that's craziness. So, so nine, you know, nine I minutes. Ask, I gotta ask about our guilty pleasures during pandemic because I do. I do. I need to know why we're drawing to certain songs at times to calm us, but also part of it has to do with format. Meaning, for some reason, I've I've been repeatedly repeatedly listening to side three of the Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven soundtrack because it's what's on the turntable, and I keep pressing start every time I go, and now that's become the theme yeah. of my last month. Not because I like it so much, but because it's obviously you're too lazy to change that it. Put me in terror because I'm too lazy to remove to turn it over. I just press play. And now it's become the soundtrack yeah. of my pandemic. How did it get there pandemic. in the first place? Because, uh, because, oh, yeah, I, that's the well, let me tell you what, I love. It's a whole other story, but I love, especially '80s horror films, right? And I have there's a there's a there's a limited edition uh, score, two two LP score for Friday. You can't see me shaking my head right and, now. Uh, of course, I, well, of feel, course, I have it. Feel free to expand on this because I'm almost certain <laughs> we're course, editing it of out. Of course, I have it. Point. You know, point B, we watched all of B. them in a row once. Yeah, because it's all one long epic story, yeah. right? Tells tells a long a long complex that tale. Makes no sense at um, all. It's not the yeah. same story twelve times. But anyhow, no, I've done that many all. times. That's that's neither here nor there. The point is, it's and it's not even music. It's just a series of stings essentially that make me uncomfortable <laughs> and on edge. But it 
is the first thing available to me because of laziness. Do you know what I mean? I have a friend who loves Black Sabbath, uh, Heaven and Hell, not because it's great, but because it's the only CD in his car he's had for years and he's never taken it out. So he knows that it's it also great, by oh, the no, way. I it's love also it. Great. I love it, but it's not, yeah. but that's not why he loves it. It's just because it's the only CD in his car. And I think there's an aspect of this in pandemic that has been, is this perhaps, has this been the only yeah. 45 you've yeah. had on your turntable for this entire time? Absolutely. The pandemic not. has thrown the whole <laughs> the whole guilty pleasure thing into a completely other dimension because it because this has gotten weird. Right, it has gotten so next weird. Week, guilty pleasures will be yeah. next week. Guilty pleasures will be the the song you're most embarrassed to having masturbated to during the pandemic. <laughs> that's every one right, of them. So and, and, Adam, and Kevin, for, Kevin, I want to acknowledge that I understand that's going to be the Friday the Thirteenth thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, I like to be on edge. I like, I like to be on edge. Uh, for just for for those at home keeping score, Adam opened the show with boners, yeah, and it's closing yeah, with yeah. masturbation. It's, it, it's thematic. It's bookended. It's the circle of this life. Is a, Look, this is a podcast. You know, I understand yeah, the audience. Professional. This is professional shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And speaking of professional shit, we are at the end, so I want to take the moment to thank Brian Frank, Jeffy Branion, and my mighty co-host Kevin Burke. I want to thank Starburns Audio and our trusty Sherpa Jason Smith, who runs the joint. Kyle McGraw, who's here Woo! with us right now. He's our editor, and according to what I've seen with his uh, his Gmail profile, he's a guitarist, too, although not a dad. The show is produced by me and Kevin and Jeffy and Brian and Starburns, and uh, we're going to be back next week. You can count on us. All right. Peace. Starbanks Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.